Beloved congregation of the Lord, will you read with me again Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. Luke 5 and verse 12. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Beloved congregation of the Lord, what a great privilege it is to receive the Lord's Supper. It is at that point that the Lord is pleased in a very special way to mark this difference between those who are true believers and those who have no interest and no share in his saving kingdom. It is here where believers may come to have their strength renewed spiritually, to have their faith fortified and built up at the wonderful gospel promises. But the clear teaching of the word of God is that the Lord's Supper is not a converting ordinance. What do I mean by that? Well, the Lord's Supper, it exists to strengthen the faith who are converted unto Christ. Those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of their sins, they are welcome at the supper and indeed commanded to come. But even those who have so believed and been converted, if it is the case that there is controversy between them and the Lord, if there is a backsliding into serious sin which is not repented of, then such as these are to come to the table but not apart from seeking grace from above, not apart from dealing with their sin in true repentance. And so it is that this preparation week, a whole week set apart unto the searching of our soul and the pleading of the Lord's grace, is very important that we receive the Lord's Supper worthily. And for myself, I can think of no example of where we may look for a heart that is prepared by the Lord's grace than that which we find in this poor leper. Perhaps as you read that, followed with me in that long section from Luke 13, a number of things struck you. One was, that isn't it an astonishing thing that the Lord would record such things in great detail, disturbing characteristics of this terrible uh, condition called leprosy. And perhaps it also occurred to you that it doesn't align exactly with what we call Hansen's disease or leprosy today. It more likely refers to a range of different conditions that existed in that day. And indeed, once you look through that passage, you come to see that 
there's something actually very mysterious about it. There's something about that particular condition of leprosy, which it's not easy to identify in people today, but something about that condition, which we call leprosy, which was something of a spiritual picture of the soul before the Lord. It was indeed true history that we read, but there is something about it that has important spiritual lessons for us all. But in order to focus some of our thoughts on what we can learn from that account of leprosy from the Old Testament, we will focus how that was realized in this one particular man whom the Lord Jesus met and how these spiritual characteristics that we find in him we should seek in ourselves and plead that the Lord would give unto us. The message simply will come under the theme, an unclean leper. An unclean leper. And I want to speak to you about his leprosy. Second, his meeting with the Lord Jesus. And third, his plea. His leprosy, his meeting of the Lord Jesus, and his plea. Leprosy. You know, there's a fair bit written about this in the Jewish history. And their understanding of leprosy was that even unlike other serious diseases, it carries with it a special sign of the Lord's curse and judgment. Of course, we ought to be careful in repeating such things because we never want to give the impression that every affliction, every sickness that someone experiences, that is a special sign of the Lord's displeasure. Indeed, we look to the history of the book of Job um, and other people who went through great suffering, but it came not from a place of judgment, of a, but of chat chastening and ultimate good for that person. But for the understanding of people in the days of the Bible, there was something unique about this condition, which the Bible translates as leprosy, that came from God that symbolized his wrath against an individual. See what I mean? Uh, I wish that you would turn with me to another chapter that talks about this. In Numbers chapter 12, perhaps you're familiar with the story recorded there, recorded there about Moses' sister Miriam. Moses' sister Miriam. And perhaps you're familiar with the story about how Moses, he married an Ethiopian, Ethiopian woman who apparently had converted into the religion of the Hebrews, unto the Lord's people. And Miriam actually began to murmur against Moses, say he was no true prophet. And so what happens is the Lord summons Miriam and Aaron and Moses, comes down the great pillar and begins to chasten them. Notice how he, he speaks unto this group in verse 6. Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord 
shall behold, wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not this, the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And you can read on about how it was that she was set up for seven days before she was healed. But a number of things to point out here. This is only one of several examples in the history of the Lord's people where a uniquely offensive sin brings down the judgment of God in this form of leprosy upon an individual was certainly the case there. And you could multiply other examples. You notice that this is not really unlike other diseases, but it results in the person so afflicted with leprosy having the status of a corpse. Verse 12, let her not be as one dead when the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. The idea there is that for Miriam to have this status would mean that she was as unclean, as unfit for the presence of God as a dead body. And indeed, if you read the book of Leviticus carefully, you come to see that both of these things, the leper and the human corpse, are both seen as defiling in that ceremonial system. And exposure to both renders someone unclean. And so it is like it is as though she is one who has never been born, never, never to have lived, so completely cut off from the grace of the Lord until such time as she could be brought in. And so it's not a disease that is treated by physicians primarily But this condition is actually treated by the priests. For as it is a special act of God and a special judgment of God, it was the ministers of God, the priests, that were tasked with both identifying it, distinguishing it from other conditions, which we read about in detail, determining the time period, which they ought to be separated from the worshiping community, and determined when they could be admitted back in. And so just an example, Leviticus 13, verse 3, And the priest shall look upon the plague and the skin of the flesh. And when the hair and the plague is turned white, then the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh. It is a plague of leprosy. The priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. How terrible to have the very representative of God, the one who is the very mouthpiece of God, speak unto you and say, you are not fit for the worshiping community. 
How long could such a thing end? Would it go on for a year, for two years? When would it be lifted? Would someone die under this condition, separated from the people of God and from his grace and the manifestation of it? When it was that someone was pronounced unclean, it says in Leviticus 13, verse 45, what it was that happened to them. Leviticus 13, verse 45, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, tearing his clothing in great mourning, and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, Unclean, unclean, all the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, he is unclean, He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. And here, of course, we do have that striking representation of both sin and its consequences. These things were all ordered and and appointed within history and then in the word of God itself in order to teach and to instruct us about the defilement of sin, which is ultimately what separates us from the presence of the Lord. Isaiah 1, verses... Sorry, Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue hath muttered perverseness. It is sin which defiles the human nature. Sin which defiles the heart and mind. Sin which makes us corrupt and unfit for the presence of God. Your sin and my sin, it is heinous before the sight of God. This thrice holy God who cannot even look upon iniquity. But I think there's also this in it. That in the striking of a person with leprosy, There is that manifestation and awareness that you are unclean. There is the hand of the Lord upon you in order that you would have time to be brought back into the communion of the Lord. If you would follow his appointed means for coming back in the fold. Indeed, it is a striking thing that a partial case of this leprosy. It rendered you unfit for the presence of God. But where it had worked its way such that the whole person was covered in leprosy, then it was taken as that point at which they were actually fit to become clean once more. Thus, you see, for example, in Leviticus 13, verse 11, It is an old leprosy in the skin of his flesh, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean and shall not not shut him up, for he is unclean. 
And if a leprosy break out abroad in the skin, and the leprosy cover all the skin of him that hath the plague from his head even to his foot, wheresoever the priest looketh, then the priest shall consider. And behold, if the leprosy have covered all his flesh, he shall pronounce him clean that hath the plague. It is all turned white, he is clean. But when the raw flesh appeareth in him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall see the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean. For the raw flesh is unclean. It is a leprosy. So if I track with this, the idea here is that where this, the stage is only partial, then the appearances of raw flesh, the person looks like a walking corpse. In such a case, they are unclean. But when the whiteness of leprosy have permeated the whole skin, such that it is, as it were, worked its way through its system, then perhaps the person is scarred for a time or for a long period, but it is seen that the, the disease has worked its course. And there, there's something similar to the conviction of our own sins, isn't there? Where we treat our sins as only a partial case, as only affecting part of us as perhaps not being so especially serious, then is it not the case that we declare ourselves by that very fact to be not ready to come into the presence of God, for we are still living in the deepest of delusions. At the same time, that one who has experienced the conviction from the Lord's hand, that true sorrow and awareness of sin, who has felt that all the person, all of the self is corrupted with sin. Is not that the person whom the Lord is drawing unto himself, one who is truly aware of how terrible his sin is? Indeed, These pictures, they come together with the leper whom we are considering. Luke chapter 5, verse 12, And it came to pass, when he, that is Jesus, was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy. Why is this man in a city? Why is he not off in quarantine? Well, he's looked at himself, and it appears as though the corruption has come all over him. The Lord's hand of judgment was upon him. He was separated from his friends and from his family. And now it appears that it it is spread everywhere. Everywhere he looks, it is only defilement and corruption. I wonder, you look at this process, the two cases of leprosy, the partial and the complete, where is it that you find yourself this afternoon? When you look upon yourself, do you see your case as as desperate as all that, as though sin has corrupted all of you? You look at the most holy of your activities, your prayers, your witnessing. You look at your worship. You look at your thoughts of the Lord Jesus himself, and all you can see in them is defilement. How unworthy are we to approach unto the Lord Jesus, Christian? 
When we really stop and think how vile and polluted we are, even after grace, how far we fall short of the glory of God. Has it never been overwhelming to you? Has it never filled you with dread and sorrow? And then you see this picture that the one who so sees his sin as that totalizing, that heinous, that foul, that all-pervasive, is precisely that one. Precisely that one who is to present himself before the priest. And so it was. This man was searching the city. Where is a priest? Where is a priest? Surely now perhaps I can come back into the presence of the Lord. And he sees no ordinary priest, but he comes upon the Lord Jesus himself. Thus we come to our second point, not only his leprosy, but his meeting of the Lord Jesus. I wonder how was it that he knew that he was standing before a wonderful high priest? Jesus, of course, comes not from the tribe of Levi. He's not descended from Aaron. He's not one who you would point to as an Old Testament priest. But no, he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, as the apostle to the Hebrews tells us. A new high priest of the new covenant era. The one who has come to bear the sins of his people and to cast away all defilement. However, it was... This man discerned that this man was the Messiah. And he saw that this one was able to help. Able to help with his dreadful defilement. Even note that congregation in our text. Behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus... What amazing thing it is to even catch a sight of the Lord Jesus. How many millions of people have lived and died without hope, never even having caught a glimpse of him, never sat down and had his glorious gospel described, never heard a word about his glorious person or of his amazing grace or of his atoning death. But you, I trust, have seen a sight of him, surely. Surely you have seen something of this blessed mediator. Has there never been a point in which he has drawn close to you and revealed that he is the Savior of sinners? That he is one who has come to seek and to save that which is lost? Well, he is indeed here. He is here wherever the preaching of the word is present. And he has revealed himself unto you and to me as the Savior. And nothing happens by accident. It was no accident that the Lord Jesus should be in that city at that time when that man needed a priest. It is no accident that you and I are in the presence of this great priest, the Lord Jesus Christ on the very week in which we must discern for ourselves if we are those who may come to the supper of the Lord. And so he is here, is all appointed. There he is. And will he shun the presence of the Lord Jesus? Will he flee from him? 
Really merely utter the words unclean, unclean, and shrink back into the shadows. No, he is persuaded of his defilement. He is persuaded that it is complete. It is utterly pervasive in all that he is. And so he goes into the presence of the Lord Jesus. And what is it that we see? Who's seeing Jesus fell on his face. Fell on his face. What a sight of humility that is. You know, it's a terrible thing if we would stroll into the presence of the Lord Jesus, as it were, with great and lofty thoughts of ourselves. As though we, of course, have a place with him. Of course, we're entitled to grace. Of course. And so sometimes you find that you go to the Lord Jesus in prayer and instantly you lunge into, I would like this, I would like that, I would like the other thing. And there's no brokenness in us. There's no sense of our unworthiness, that we are unclean lepers before the presence of the most holy one of heaven. He is a merciful Savior, yes, but so righteous, so pure, And dare we come into his presence without bowing down to the dust, low congregation. Do you know what that is? To bow low before the Lord Jesus Christ. To acknowledge you're utterly unworthy of anything that he could ever give you. And yet you stay in his presence. Yet you cannot flee from him, but you bow down low. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is the posture of a broken sinner. And that's really, if you are experiencing any conviction in any degree, if you look back on your life or you look at your present state and heart, if you feel any pull of the Holy Spirit upon you about the seriousness of your condition. Let it bring you right there at the feet of the Lord Jesus himself. Reminded of what the prophet Isaiah said when he was chastening the people for their sin in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 5 and 6, pointing how their sin had brought so much misery unto them. Why should you be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. From the whole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Perhaps that would be a merciful thing if rather than being able to come to church with our nice clothes and with our combed hair, if we would come in our spiritual condition with all the putrefying sores of our defilement, with all the heinous gouges upon our conscience that we've inflicted upon ourselves through our sin, of all of the strikes and blows of the Lord upon our conscience. Perhaps then we would be less inclined to ignore it, less inclined to put off the coming unto the Lord Jesus with our defilement. Let it not be so, congregation, 
May the word and spirit of God bring you not only to that awareness of your defilement, but your need for the Lord Jesus Christ, your utter dependence upon him, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him. He pleaded with him. How wonderful that is. The prayer of the broken, humbled sinner. Not making demands or commands or orders, but pleading, pleading for all that you are, and the Lord would look upon you. How terrible it is when people go through their whole lives and never issue such a plea before the Lord. You know, the Lord is so... so willing to hear the pleas of the humble, broken sinner. Perhaps that was what really instilled this in this man and brought him to that place where he could plead unto the Lord. All of the psalms he had sung throughout his youth and through his adulthood. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me, the Lord says, in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Psalm 91, verse 15, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And of course, there's in particular that promise of the Messiah in Psalm 72, verse 12, where speaking of the coming anointed one, the Christ, it says, for he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy. He shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall their blood be in his sight. Yes, pleading unto the Lord Jesus, pleading unto the Lord for mercy in the day of trouble, in the day of conviction, in the day of sorrow, knowing that you have failed him countless times, knowing that your defilement is utter utter and complete, you plead for him. And what is it you plead? Do you not plead for cleansing, cleansing? who seeing Jesus fell on his feet and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. You can make me clean, Lord Jesus, if you will. What a faith of this man. Before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, before the raising of Lazarus, before many of the miracles in his ministry, This man had spirit-wrought faith in the Lord Jesus, seeing that where there was no strength to heal nor to cleanse in himself, here was one who had the power of cleansing, the true priest come from the Lord God himself on the mission to cleanse sinners. Psalm 51, verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter then snow. Wonderful plea. Make me clean. You know, the difference between clean and unclean, it has a difference between common and holy. 
common and holy. That which is common is subject to the defilement of the world, but that which is holy is set apart for the sacred use of the worship of the living God. And here is when he recognizes that he has nothing in him that is holy. Indeed, he has, he has earned the judgment of the Lord that he himself is so utterly pervasive with the corruption that now he needs a priest to bring him into the presence of the Lord. Maybe he even knew that there was the promise of a priest under the new covenant who would bring about a cleansing that was not only ceremonial, but true and actual cleansing of the soul. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, In that day there shall be a fountain opened up to the house of David, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and uncleanness. Or that glorious promise of the suffering servant, who through his suffering would make his people clean. Isaiah 52, verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, as many were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Suffering, marred, crucified. Verse 15, So shall he Sprinkle many nations, sprinkling with his blood, sprinkling sprinkling with his spirit, sprinkling so as to cleanse from both the guilt of sin and the defilement of sin, to render you innocent and just before the throne of heaven, as well as to purify your heart and to make you a new creature in Christ. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Do not imagine, congregation, that you can cleanse yourself this preparation week. Do not imagine you can just busy yourself with activities and then waltz up to the Lord's Supper. No, it must be with a soul that is broken before the Lord, asking that he would cleanse us, pleading that he would cleanse us. Will you just plead once, and upon having no testimony of his grace in your soul, will you simply go about your day? Will you plead twice and then say, well, I've tried that, but he simply will not hear? Will you plead three times and say, well, there's, there's nothing really in this at all. Maybe I'll just go through the motions. Or will you plead and will you plead and will you plead until the Lord would answer you? Look at all these things that we have heard. There is cleansing with the Lord Jesus. There is power in his blood to cleanse. And he is one who hears and delights to hear the needy who cry unto him. Cry unto him, O sinner. Plead upon his mercies. 
Do not put this off. Do not think that even after all the countless times you've spurned his grace, maybe even knowing that you have taken the supper in the past without any preparation, without any repentance, without any faith, do not let this time be such as that. You may think that it's too far gone for you, that you have sinned too often, too heinously. You are like that Miriam who is spoken against the Lord himself, spoken against his power, spoken against his word, spoken against his law. Whatever may be upon your conscience, you must know this, that nothing is too hard for the Lord. No human power could help that leper, but the Lord Jesus could help him. Talk to many people who have pled upon his on his mercy, who pled for his cleansing. Can they not testify that he has given them their heart's desire? What else is more important than this congregation? Nothing. We need the cleansing power of the Lord. May this be what prepares us for this coming week. The sight of a spirit wrought change in a sinner, perceiving his corruption, fleeing unto Christ, pleading for his mercy. Do we imagine that the Lord will harden his heart to any such cry? God forbid.